Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. You know, I'm missing Master I'm missing Master Chef for this because you have a live stream tomorrow and we had to move the date. I'm oh. missing Master Chef. I just want you to know that. Well, I do appreciate One the sacrifice. One of my sacri- favorite shows. Okay. Do you have a ability to record that, Manny? No, I don't. Huh. And you're because you have a show, you have to do a live stream that no one's going to watch. Well, but, uh, I'm doing it for you. Well, I do appreciate the sacrifice, Manny. I, I, I appreciate your dedication, and the troubled nation appreciates it. And uh, um, yes, maybe someone can record it. Maybe someone out in the nation can record it for me because I'm missing it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, you know, you can get that. Oh, well, you don't have uh, cable. I mean, you have something else. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll maybe uh, record it for you on a replay, and then you can come over and, and watch it over here. But, uh, oh, man. Uh, well, so I guess uh, not much going on in the news, is there, Manny? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, not so much. It looks like Corona's dying. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah, because uh, yeah, the, the streets are filled with people again, right? So that's uh, people are yeah, people are people out there are, going about their their regular lives. I don't know. Um, it's um, cra- yeah, well, it sure seems so. I was going to say it's crazy that we had uh, you know the the police chief on as our last guest last week, just as as you know the that all of this was kind of unfolding. And uh, I, it was a little bit of weird timing, you know. I felt like uh, listening back to, it, I was like, mm, you know, I don't know. Uh, should we have been more aggressive at holding his feet to the fire? I don't know. I mean, I felt like, you know, who was the chief of police of New Orleans? No, 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 no. Uh, Mark Barker, the chief of 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 the uh, the whatever Daytona area police that we had on as our. our oh guest. yeah, yeah. Okay. But well, he's a good guy. He is a good guy. You know, yeah. it's it's tough though. You know, you get the policemen who are good guys, and you know they they want to use this phrase uh, a few bad apples. I, I think that's that phrase has been overused this week by a, a lot of people representing the law enforcement community. Um, you know, you get back to the the idea of well, if it's just a few, why are th- why are the rest of the good cops unable to? Um, to curtail that behavior, why 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 is this allowed to go on? And that's that I think is the the frustrating part. You know, no one thinks that that all cops are killers, but you know, how is this? How is there a culture allowed to to um, exist where you know people think they can do this and and there won't be any repercussions? Or I don't well, know because they've been do they've been doing it since day one, man. Right. That's why. Right. Listen, I grew up in Los Angeles, man. And the cops there are uh, the older cops are the ones who get, go through the, the ones who survive 20 years and then they go to retirement. But all the new recruits, I swear, every new recruit in LAPD is either from some type of military, Marines, Army, Navy, and they've never really gotten to go to war. So they get out, of, they get out after four years in the military and they're still pumped up. They want to hit somebody. They want to shoot somebody. And this is what you get. You get these guys. They're just, they're basically time bombs. Yeah. That's what you're, that's what you're recruiting when you get these uh, police uh, young recruits. They're just time bombs. 
and mm. and and uh, it's a sad situation. But uh, well, I love the riots. I love the protesters. I, I think burn them all, burn all the cities down, man. I dig it. Of course, New Orleans, you know, doesn't do that. They just you know block a freeway. Big fucking deal, you know. Big fucking deal. You gotta, if you want to show some, show the man. You gotta burn it down, man. Burn, baby, no burn. Justice, no peace. Burn, baby, burn. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, people in New it's Orleans. It's a bad thing. It's terrible, man. It's terrible. And you know what? What even is is again reinforces this idea that that it's a systemic issue. Is you know you have example after after example this week of of people peacefully protesting and still being attacked by the police and not just one yeah. police officer, but, but, you know, a lot of police officers like, well, okay, this, this does seem to be a, uh, a systemic issue. You know, I don't, I, I don't well, know. Well, the thing is, I'll, I'll give the NOP their props. I mean, we've said this before. They're good at one thing. Crowd control. Crowd control. Right. We've said that over and over again on this show. That's the one good thing they're good at is crowd control. Right. Well, they get a lot so of practice during Mardi Gras. Yes. Yeah. They understand. Well, yeah. Well, they get a, every weekend they get practice because every fucking weekend there's a parade or some kind of festival that they got to deal with. You right. Know? So right. they're born into it, man. Right. Right. They, they understand that if you start pushing on people, there's a lot more of the people than, than there are of police officers. So it's best to just try to manage the situation rather than to get too aggressive. Cause, uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, the thing is it's, it's, this has been going on. I mean, what, what happened, remember about a year ago, the thing in Missouri and now oh, yeah. a few weeks ago. And well, that's why everybody's so upset because it's, you, you, you know, there's one, one incident happens that, 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 you know, is actually well-documented. It's irrefutable that, that this went down. It's not people's opinions and there's a big uproar and then it kind of dies down and then we move on and nothing really changes as far as procedures. And, uh, and then another one happens. And it, it, at some point it's, it's, you know, the, the camel with the, you know, that last straw that's like, well, this has just been going on for so long. It, it's, it, it can't stand. And of course, you know, our, our nation's leader is, <laughs> I don't even want to start on, no. on him, you know, just <laughs> doing what he does. Right. You know, I heard he went, I, I heard he went to, to a bunker in the White House to have a bunker there. Yeah, he's a tough guy. He's, <laughs> he's such a tough guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a strong man. You know, it's a, a few people outside, uh, you know, getting tear gassed and he's in a panic. Oh, my God, get me somewhere safe. Right. Well, I was just hoping that, you know, he might, t- you know, find the black capsule and just take it. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> just go ahead and go full, yeah. full bunker. Just go full throttle, man. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing. What's going on. And, uh, it, it is what it is. It's, uh, but I, I, I've noticed, um, you know, summer's here and the heat is back. Yes. The heat is back. It is like crazy. And a lot of news going on in our town with the protests and the COVID still going on now, the heat. And of course, there's a there's there's something in the Gulf brewing, a tropical storm. Yeah, yeah. Just to add uh, to this this whole mix, this witch's brew that we have going here. Yes, we have a tropical storm that's that's slated to become a hurricane and and uh, come through New Orleans uh, Sunday or Monday. <laughs> so right, exactly. You know, so. It, 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 it's, is it, our, you know, what's going on? Are we all going to go to hell? Is that what's happening? Is I, I, it, I uh, don't know. Are we still alive? Is this reality or is this the, some, some sort of shared, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
post-mortem world we're, we're living in here. I don't know. Right. Well, one good thing happened for me. One good thing happened for me during all this, this past week, mm-hmm. um, the, the city and the company that runs the, the blue bike program, uh-huh. they're calling it quits. Well, that's good. They're calling it quits. Yeah, I, they take up too much room on the street, these blue bikes, you know, and uh, you seem to find them everywhere, like in parking. You know, people just abandon them at places, and I think that's a good thing, the blue bike program ending. Now all I need are those, uh, those white bikes that you see parked like on neutral grounds everywhere. I need those gone, too. Okay. I'd like to get those gone out here, too. Yeah, that's kind of um, an eyesore for you. Or, yeah, uh, kind of an eyesore for me. I, I, just the waste, of, you know. I, I don't know if it's supposed to be artwork or something. I, I have no idea what it's, it's supposed a, to be. A but bit of a, get uh, rid of the blue bikes. Get rid of the blue bikes now. Get rid of the white bikes. You know, they're all painted white. The tires and everything. It's crazy going. Right, nuts, ghost you know? bikes or something. Yes, it's for people that have been killed on their bicycles in those those areas. It's a memorial, I guess. It's what that's supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what else is going on with you? Well, uh, you know, I'm, uh, the good news uh, over here at the uh, the safe house is the the uh, hole in my head that the drill made seems to be closing up nicely. So that's good. That's a positive. You know that that uh, and and uh, it, it was a surprisingly large uh, divot in my head. I was I had to think back on it and you know be thankful that it didn't go straight through my skull. Cause I think I'd, it, it might've been like a trepaning if you're, or the trepanation, you know, where you actually, uh, can, can, uh, have some, some, uh, some brain fluid seep out. Could have been that, but thankfully it didn't. Well, it could have been all the sap in your head that plugged it all up. Right. Maybe so. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> so, you uh, know. so, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's healing up nicely, but I'll, I'll I'm happy to, to report. Now I heard some some good news uh, from your that that you actually uh, crossed uh, a barrier that we we haven't haven't been uh, broaching for a few months. You actually went to dinner at a restaurant. Yes. Now, well, how, I went to. How was uh, that? I went to brunch. I went to brunch. Okay. At a restaurant. Oh, okay. Brunch. All right. Um, a meal. A meal out. Yes. I went to. Yeah, I went out to a neighborhood restaurant. And, um, I had made reservations for the brunch mm-hmm. and, um, uh, we, we, it's so close that we walk there. Okay. And then, and then, uh, they, they were at, what is it? 25% right. uh, capacity. And, um, they have like a, uh, a patio area that's kind of facing the street and they got the middle of the restaurant and they got the rear of the restaurant. It's a very small place. Maybe. 18 tables tops, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, uh, we sat on the street side by ourselves. And then there was another table about a good 12 feet away from us. And there was about three or four other tables, a good, you know, 15 to 20 feet away from us. Uh-huh. The waitresses, the waitress was wearing a mask. We wore a mask actually, uh, when we sat down, we wore our mask until it was basically time to start eating mm-hmm. or drinking. Cause mm-hmm. we ordered, uh, we ordered a round of, of mimosas and then we ordered our food and they brought the mimosas and that's when we took our mask on. And it was, it was, you know, and then, but the thing we did though is when we got home, we all took a shower. Yeah. 
<laughs> together? No, no, no. <laughs> no, not together. Okay. No. We all took a shower. Um, you know, because you got to remember, my wife's dad was a, a doctor, and he was a lung specialist. Right. And uh, so she's she. Uh, I, I find myself every once in a while kind of slipping, and so does my daughter. But she cracks the whip and says, "I don't think so. I don't think that's a good thing to do." Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, um, so that's good. Uh, and the meal was good. The food was just as good as it's always been. Nice. And, um, you know, so yeah, I did go out. I did go out, which was, uh, which was, it was a funny feeling in a way. It was kind of a funny feeling. Yeah. Was it you know, kind you, of you, sad because there weren't that many people there? Was it nice to be, what was well, the emotion? We know the owner, we know the owner of the place. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of very, you know, he was working, you know, he was busting tables and stuff, which he doesn't really need to do when, it, you know, when it's not COVID-19. He was, but he was very gracious. He's paying, he's paying his wait staff, his dishwashers. Um, he's paying them all 20 bucks an hour. Wow. 20 bucks an hour. Oh, that's, that's true. And he was, he was kind of pissed off though, because his chef, his master chef would not take a pay cut. So he was a little pissed off about that, but he, he basically said, um, since like late March, you know, I mean, he was doing curbside stuff, but since late March, he's probably losing about eight to 10 grand a week. Jeez. Wow, man. Man, oh man. Yeah. Restaurant business is tough, huh? Holy cow. Oh yeah. Jeez. You know? So, uh, you know, I, I tipped well, right I, I tipped a, a, probably like a 30, 35% tip on the bill. Okay. Right on. Good for you. Um, because usually I just dine and ditch, you know, but okay. I decided I felt bad. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad. I had developed a bit of and, a conscience. Um, okay. Right. I, you know, and, uh, so anyway, uh, it was, it was good to go out. It really was. I'm, uh, I don't think it's going to be a common thing. You know, I, we, I, I, I don't know about it yet. I, I'm still kind of weary about this whole phase two coming up. Right. You know, um, We'll see what happens. I don't know. I know one thing. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, uh, the university where I work and where your boy goes to is going to reopen in August. Yes. Um, and um, I really think it's a bad thing, but um, they're going for it because the money. It's all about the money. Right. It's, yes, I think uh, they're, you know, they're we afraid. We talked about that. I think they're afraid if they don't have in-person classes that a lot of people will say, well, hey, I'm not going to pay full freight to take, uh, you know, University of Phoenix style online classes. And so why don't I just either drop out for now or take a sabbatical? And then, yes, it it becomes a a real, uh, you know, the the financial wheels start to grind to a halt. And and then, you know, they're they're afraid where that's going to lead. So it's like, well... Uh, yes, we may be out in the wilderness here, but let's take a chance, you know? Well, that's it. I mean, and the thing, uh, I mean, they're going to shorten the semester, which I think is a wise thing, but um, who's to say once they come in to campus on August, you know, you've got, you've got kids from all over, and especially, you know, because this university, 80%, I would say, of, of the, the kids, the student body every year, are from the Northeast. Right. 
And, um, and where has the pandemic been the hardest hit in the Northeast? Yep. So uh, I, you know, I'm weary of it. Uh, my bosses are assuring me that I'll have all the protection I ha- I can get. Um, so they've, they've suited me. They fitted me with a, uh, basically a body condom. Oh, wow. I'm going to be wearing a body. I'm wearing a body condom, which, okay. <laughs> uh, should be, uh, should be interesting to try to get things done that way. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to have, know, maybe uh, I'll, maybe some, uh, maybe some young freshmen will be attracted to it. I have no idea. Okay. All right. Uh, but Let's we'll see. See you as we'll a, as a safe alternative. Okay. There you go. Yeah, have, exactly. Have, have uh, a belt and, sus- yeah. and suspenders. Yeah. Yeah. And a full body. Right. Condom. Exactly. Right. Well, well, it's, 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 uh, you know, thing, thing where we're bit by bit kind of, uh, you know, groping in the darkness for a way forward here. So I guess we're going to, we're it'll be re- revealed week by week. Um, well, should we, uh, should we get to our guest here, get her in on the mix? Sure. Yeah. Let's get her in on this. So, uh, so this is a, a, a woman, a musician that I've worked with, uh, for several years, going a couple of years back, she's a lifelong uh, performer. She grew up in a uh, performing family. She was part of the the family band, the Flying Neutrinos. Uh, she was uh, traveled all over the world with that group as a as a child growing up. She's been a solo artist for the past I don't know 20, 25 years. Put out a whole bunch of records under her own name. Uh, singer, songwriter, band leader. Without further ado, Miss Ingrid Lucia. Welcome, Ingrid. Welcome. Thank you, Renee. That was the nicest introduction. Thank oh. you. How are you? Good, good. How have you been? I've been all over the place. I feel like a roller coaster. As long as you stay on the track, you know, it's okay to take the ride. Like, literally, you wonder day to day, am I losing my mind? Am I going to be okay? I see, like, yes, everything's fine. I'm just happy. <laughs> so, just trying to keep it all together. Yeah. Well, you must... Are you one of those... Times. Pe- you... You and you and I in the band have had some really good times over the years. Sure, sure. What was you going to say, Manny? Well, I said, you know, are you one of those people that when you're on the roller coaster, you 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 raise your arms and hands up all the time while you're on the roller coaster? Are you one of those people? No, we traveled. No, no. Actually, we traveled with a carnival when I was twelve, and I did the basketball hoops. I I sold basketball hoop shots, and I got all the free rides I wanted. And sure enough, I'd be puking on the puking on the roller coaster, puking on the Ferris wheel, puking on the spider. I, I I'm not <laughs> I'm not a thrill seeker. <laughs> okay. Actually, the biggest biggest uh, the biggest thrill I think I've ever physically done was jump on a moving train and climb the ladder. But then I realized the thing was picking up speed, and I wasn't going to get down. And I didn't know where it was going. That so was the middle of the night, so I jumped up and lucky didn't break my ankle. Holy cow. And that was a couple of years ago. Do you think I'd know better? Wow, still riding the rails at this, this stage of life. That's, that's crazy. I, well, I love your sense of adventure. Well, you know, you were talking about uh, how, how uh, you, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen day to day. And I, I know I've, I've watched the, uh, the film about your family, uh, Random Lunacy, which was, uh, you know, a, a, about an hour long feature. That was uh, a lot of it was shot by your father, Papa Neutrino, uh, on VHS or, or you know other kinds of uh, you know handheld cameras, and and compiled a few years ago of like I don't know thirty years of footage or something. But 
but you spent your whole life uh, or your young life traveling around between New York and New Orleans and South America. And could, could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, my father grew up with the beatniks in the fifties and he was very much kind of a, uh, a nomad. He loved the Aboriginal lifestyle. He didn't want to be a slave to the rent. My dad would be in his glory right now with all these discussions about rent strikes and how the rent brings the man down and like surviving in nature. He taught all his kids how to build a raft, how to work with compasses and currents and tides and fish and, but we, uh, he didn't, his triad was pretty much music, raft building, and psychology. And so he found a very creative way of keeping everybody safe on the road and keeping the kids out of trouble by, you know, playing music and also creating an income for us to uh, go sleep on train station floors in Mexico. <laughs> wow. So these rafts that y'all would make, they were, when you say raft, it, people don't get the 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 accurate picture it was a gigantic vessel but it was it was a raft in the sense that it wasn't a boat that held water out it just sat on top of the it was like extruded foam or something that that would float on top right. of the water but they were very big to where you could y'all lived on these things right and you'd have like 10 12 people on these on these these vessels yes he was constantly working on the perfect prototype so it would go anywhere from a con from a Contiki design to a showboat square, but it was all built out of recycled wood from the Mississippi River, and he would stuff the holes with foam so that no matter if there were holes or, uh, you know, no matter what, that boat was not going to sink. And he actually took his, his last claim to fame was he took one of his rafts from Newfoundland to Ireland and uh, wow. hit the big time. The Explorers Club asked him to join, and the documentary came out and did well, and this guy at the New Yorker, Alec Wilkinson, wrote a book about him called The Happiest Man in the World. So he, uh, he was very creative, and he really left a lot of strong kids behind who are able to handle all this, you know, as well as possible. Because he was preparing for the end of the world, you know? I don't know what it was, but he like, what if? Worst case scenario, best case scenario. Huh. So on these vessels, on on these vessels that your father made, where did you go to the bathroom? Well, sometimes we just stuck our booty over the side, and sometimes when the Coast Guard did their inspections, we would have an official toilet that, if you're lucky enough to be able to sit on once in a while, was there <laughs> on the boat. Um, I don't know. We, you know, we made do. We'd go to get a cheap motel room and take showers and just jump in the river with a bottle of joy, <laughs> wash clothes on rocks. <laughs> I'm not joking. Either. Yeah, no, I believe you. No, it's, <laughs> but it's something that most people can't, can't relate to, but I, I, I imagine it must've made you very resourceful and, and also, you know, have a, a sense that no matter what happens, you can be all right. So I, I you know, like a lot it's of true. people, a lot of people, if I don't have this, I'm not all right. If I don't have cable TV, I'm not all right. If I don't have, you know, this whole list of things, you know, the whole, whatever, uh, hierarchy, right, those are luxuries. hierarchy yeah, of needs. He would always say, yeah, he would always say, as long as you have a can of beans, a roof over your head and a great team, like the three musketeers, you don't need anything else. You can focus on whatever your dreams are. And his dream was the big time. So 
he and I were partners in crime and we'd go walk in the streets of New York, knocking on people's doors, looking for record deals and looking for the big time. And the irony of all of that, which really breaks my heart, is after being the lead singer for the School Nut Zippers and knowing what a golden, I mean, you guys know with the iguanas, there's a lot, it's a 24-hour-a-day machine. And it's really not all that's built up to be, but really at the end of the day, we had our family and, and, um, basically the big time was there the whole time. It was yeah. like a, a stupid moment where like Dorothy goes off from Kansas into this like Wizard of Oz and she comes back and the big time is just having the basics, you know, and that's, that's the gift. Right. And so, so yeah. your, your mother and father had like, so your, your nuclear family was, was there, but then your father was also like, he, he would collect, <laughs> collect stray children that he would find and, uh, around and, and, and bring them into the family. So you have a, uh, you have a bunch of siblings that are, the- <laughs> that are not, not your, um, not your biological siblings, but, but they're, you consider them your brothers and sisters and, and you guys all travel together and your father had this kind of yeah. uh, protective um, environment that that he would he would find people that that seemed to need something and and bring them into the that protective fold. Yes, he would. Uh, he would teach them tools that he had learned from different sources, and I mean, basically, I'll just be blunt. You know, my dad. He was married technically three times, and then he didn't really believe in monogamy because he felt it trapped people. So we basically were raised in a family, and I'm still really close to all of them. Um, You know, there was the Auntie Donna, who was Todd's mom, who played the accordion, and she was the fun one. And there was Todd, who played trombone, who was my cousin, which was kind of like dubious because <laughs> blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh-huh. And then there's <laughs> Betsy, my stepmother, who actually married him and had my half-sister Jessica who played drums and danced. And then there was my sister-in-law who actually had a baby with my brother who ended up having an affair with my father. Huh. And Galen is totally close. And then you have, <laughs> wait a second, let me think, did I get everybody? No, we adopted Esther. So that was the core nucleus of people that were like, my stepmother was our homeschooler. She homeschooled all the kids and did really well with us. Um, my sister Jessica is a journalist in Hawaii. She works for Civic Beat for the last six years. She's one of the head editors. She never went to a single day of school in her life, and she graduated college, magna cum laude, and was the only one to get a job in journalism when she got out. Wow. So... Yeah, kids learn at their own rate, and if you allow them that space, they actually learn a lot quicker. And then um, sounds, it sounds a lot. It sounds a lot like that OLD song, uh, "Keeping It in the Family." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Although, I mean, we don't have to keep expounding on this subject, but basically, he made sure everybody was safe, health wise, and you know, people. It wasn't just like this ongoing orgy. Nobody drank or did drugs. There was none of that at all, which made the whole situation even weirder. So, um, yeah. So I was raised that way, and then I always had a dream. It was a big time, so I moved to New York and ended up getting a deal with the Cures label, and then Verve uh, got some record deals, charted on Billboard, did all the adventures in Europe with the guys. The classic band story. I mean, we had it all going for us in every way. 
And then the guys had to bitch and moan about every point, everything on the deal, this and that, and everything was just a problem. And I turned down a deal with Harry Connick Jr.'s manager because they wanted me and not the band. I mean, so finally I was like, you know what? Seriously, I am going to quit playing music or I'm going to go back and play with people who enjoy playing music for the sake of music. And that was a big instigator to come back here in New Orleans. And I love everybody. They're like a family to me. You know, all all the brothers who do stuff on the road that you have, what goes on the road stays on the road. <laughs> you know, right. I know all of it. Right, right. So, you know, the times have changed for the industry, obviously. And really, <laughs> excuse me, um, really doing music is from a place of joy and love. And it's something that's yours. And I find that when I'm not doing music, like right now, feel weird. I feel isolated. I feel lonely. I miss the guys. I miss playing. I miss that part that makes me feel good about being myself. Right. It's part of our identity. Yeah. So, so if you're not doing that, you feel like, well, yeah. what am I? I'm just sitting on the porch here, just staring at the street that doesn't have a person on it. Right. <laughs> you're right. What am I? I did, you know, I gave up music for a while and consciously I had a chunk of money. I went to California and took a break from music and I was questioning. I mean, you have to, every once in a while you have to question that. I'm sure you did when I or do. We all, we all have to question whether we want to continue the journey or not. Sure. And I'm on board. I mean, I'm finishing my 13th album. It's being mixed right now by Jack at the Music Shed and it's sounding really good for the first time. Pardon my French and Christmas for the day. I don't give a shit about a hit right now. I care about the songs that I wrote and that they're real feelings with real words. And they don't have to be Billy Holiday doing a swing feel. Some of them are kind of R&B oriented. Some of them, it, it's whatever the song calls for. And so I'm really excited about that, that freedom to do that. Nice. Nice. Good for you. Um, and Thanks. I heard you on that chat. Thanks. I love that. We were living a block away. That was what did me in. Uh, when I went to the hospital <laughs> and rehab was Hanks. Was what? You can believe it. Wait, was what? Was Hanks. Hanks. I don't. I don't know what didn't you. you play on? Didn't you play on that track, Hanks, with Alex McMurray? I thought it was you playing bass. I'm not on the track about Hanks Grocery. Uh, no, 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 no. That wasn't. No, I, I wasn't on that that uh, recording. Oh, it sounded like you. Okay. okay. All right. Um, Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. No, that's all right. Uh, now, how did you guys, when you, just to, to recap with the flying neutrinos as a kid, you guys were down <laughs> in Mexico or, or South America at some point? Yeah, you, we played with two Mexican circuses. We were the, uh, <laughs> oh, we were, we were the band that played for the parade. We were the band that did all the promo on the radio and TV. We were the band that played for the elephants when the audience members were having their pictures taken with them. And we had like a 20 minute act that we did at intermission. So that was the best thing for the kids. I mean, the circus, like going to the circus is one thing, but traveling with the circus, that was it. Yeah. And your father would just <laughs> tell you, it'd say like, find something you want to do, find an instrument you want to play or find a, a place for yourself in this group. And so, well, did you did, play drums? He did and he didn't. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Well, what happened was one day he, he, he was a big thinker and he was trying to figure out what to do. Is that a trouble as they're getting a little older? And so 
he had called a meeting in Austin, Texas, and he said, we're starting a band all together. We didn't know anything about music, nothing. And he said, pick an instrument. And I said, well, dance and choreography. He said, and you're going to play the watch the bass. I was like, no way in hell. <laughs> the watch the bass? How did I end up in the Beverly Hillbillies? Right. So Todd picked the trombone because it started with a T like Todd. It was just the most random mix of choices and how they came about. But it stuck. Everybody still plays those instruments. And I played drums for a long time because... My sister who played drums ran away at 14. I mean, every every kid aborted the family between the ages of 12 and 14 and came to live with me when I was in New York when I was 20. So I became kind of a um, a segue into the real world for them. So I played drums for a good batch of years, which I think every musician should learn how to keep time and play drums. You might not be a soloist or jazz, this and that, but you need to crack a good 2-4 two, two, into a press roll, do a backbeat, good to go yes yes it's good training it's like and and i similarly think i like i love drummers that also sing because i love that usually they they quickly um you know uh make the shift of what's important in their mind from the drums to the song you know if they're if they're a singer who who, who right you're right and also let's see like let's let's look at the drum chair they're the last ones to leave the club. They're the last ones to get the girl. They are, <laughs> they have to be creative. And I love George French and Gerald French. They're, they're great singers. They're some of my favorite singers ever. But you don't want to be the last man standing at the club at four in the morning and everybody's split. I mean, some famous player went from the drums to saxophone because he, he didn't want to have to break it all down and miss out on the action. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's you what know, um, you, you Johnny Vodakovich said that. Yeah. He did? Yeah, he said the drummer's always the last guy to leave. He never got the girl because he was always packing up his equipment. You're saying yeah. or, or, you find yeah. a, or you find a girl that, that, uh, that doesn't mind carrying your stuff with you. So. <laughs> I'm with the band. Well, what happened was I was playing the drums with a family band, and then I went on my own starting the band in New York, and, I mean, we weren't making a lot of money, so there I was at 3 in the morning with 25 bucks drum set and living in a six-flight walk-up. And I'm thinking, I don't need this. You know, I'll take care of the bookings, I'll walk the streets, I'll do the business stuff, and I'll sing. So that's how that kind of transitioned. Okay. That's how you b- became a front person. And, you know, I got to say, I, I always loved playing in your band, Ingrid, because, well, for one thing, you always got great musicians in the band. I, I met a lot of guys who even were from here that I'd, I'd never met before, but on your band, I'd think, well, holy cow, how have I never run across you before? You play so well. <laughs> and, but, but, and never, never got on your band and had anybody that was, was less than, than an excellent musician. So I love that about playing with Thank your band. Thank you. And another thing I loved about you, and I guess this comes from that that training that you did with the family band, that on the bandstand bombs could be going off, and it wouldn't you it, you wouldn't even acknowledge it. Like it could be going so badly, and you would just uh, 
trudge forward. You know, you were, <laughs> it's like, I, I love that kind of, that kind of stage generalship, you know, where, because, because often you can play with people that are just singers. If anything starts going awry, they start looking back and panicking and, uh, you know, they're, and that's something you never did. It, it, it could be going so badly and you just kept on singing. <laughs> like, come on, guys, let's, well, all, let's all figure this out and keep moving forward. <laughs> well, thank you for the compliment, first of all. And there are uh, reasonings behind it. So number one statement, always be the weakest link in the band so you can learn. I never really had formal training, so I always made sure Everybody else was a notch or two ahead of me, so I could learn from them. And then I always tried to pair off. I learned this early for me. Don't I mean, tell me I'm wrong. It could be different for everybody. But if you get the right bromances, the right bass player and drummer hookup, that they're in love with each other and married, you know, so I have these bromance combinations. <laughs> and if they're like that together, I don't have to worry about a thing, number one. And then um, in regards to not stopping, I mean the audience doesn't know what's going on. They don't have a clue, but they know if you stop or you have that deer in the headlights look. Yes. Yes. So, and I will never forget my favorite show with you, Renee, is the one for those private, the, the private boys school uptown. Remember that? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Playing at McGee's or we something. Had, I don't like know. we were the Beatles to those kids. We were the Beatles. They were screaming and jumping up and down on the chairs. It was hot. I mean, it was like rock star territory for these like, six-year-olds to 11-year-olds and you turned to John Paul at the end of it he said note to self what not to become as a 50-year-old bass player <laughs> this is what can happen to you oh I think I said yes I just thought it was great yeah kids stay in school that was uh Newman we played at Newman <laughs> yes I do remember that that's right I you know I'll take it I'm you know and that's the other thing about playing music is that you never know what kind of a gig you're going to get, but don't ever assume that you played every type of gig. Like, for example, this last spring, before I went and played all these really fancy festivals in Norway and Greece, I literally, my last gig here was in a treehouse in the Seventh Ward in yeah. a hippie garden. So, and that was fun. It was really fun. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Uh, uh, angry. Never. I love that stuff. Manny, should we uh, take a little break now? Is this a good time, you think? Please, yeah, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. All right. And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, back with our guest, Miss Ingrid Lucia. So, um, Manny, uh, you know, we the past few weeks, we've had a new sponsor. Um, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You want to tell the tell the folks about our new sponsor, uh, uh, Velo Bar oh, yeah. CBD? Yeah. It's yeah, uh, Mellow Bar uh, CBD Protein Bar. It's yes. A, uh, it's a, it's uh, a plant-based. Great new sponsor. Yes, great new sponsor. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a CBD protein bar that, uh, that uh, picks you up and, and, and helps you calm down. It's taken the nation by storm. Yes. It's taken the nation by storm right now. Uh, my buddy who started this company with another person, uh, is so grateful to the Troubled Nation for their orders. And you can still order right now or anytime you want. Go to their website uh, and use the promo code TROUBLEDMEN15 and get 15% off your order with free shipping. Nice. I mean, that's a great deal. Yes. And these bars are 
there's two types of bars. There's a dark chocolate and there's a peanut butter one. And I, I, uh, I'm leaning towards the dark chocolate one right now. Okay. Uh, I love it. My wife loves it. Uh, my kid loves it. Uh, my grandchildren love them. Okay. Uh, everyone's just so happy with them. You know, they're kind of just mellowed out all the time, which is fine by me. Okay. You know? Right on. So nation, nation, if you're curious, if you, if you're stressed out with all this, if you know, you're out there protesting or, uh, throwing a Molotov cocktail into a building, <laughs> you know, take time to have a little bar, a velo bar. Yes. And you can That's get that. E L O B A R. Um, CBD uh, bar.com CBD oil. It's got, uh, the legal amount of the, the oil in there and it's a healthy thing. And I find it very, uh, uh, um, nice for my aching bones. Okay. All right. Know, I'm an old man. I'm an old man and, 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 and you know, I feel like very brittle at times mm -hmm. and, and the velo bar uh, helps me out with my aching bones. Reduces the inflammation. You know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So check it out. Go to their website. What's their website? It's, it's, uh, it's VeloBarCBD.com. Is, uh, there is, you go. Check it out. Yes. You won't be disappointed. Right on. You will not be disappointed. Right on. So, yeah, it's, well, it's so, a good thing. Yes, yes, yes. We love, the, love that sponsor. And, uh, you know, Nation, uh, as always, uh, you can support the Trouble Man podcast by uh, jumping on that, that, uh, that cocktail fund uh, uh, link there, uh, uh, paypal.me slash Podcast, And I uh, want to give a shout out to a couple people that, that – uh, did support the podcast this week, Miss uh, Kristen Hobbs and Miss uh, uh, Sedan Williams. So uh, thank you all so much for supporting the Trouble Man podcast and, uh, you know, buying Manny and me a drink and uh, buying yourselves drinks as well. So, uh, yes, avail yourselves of that. So uh, I still haven't, I still haven't seen one drink out of this. But, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, I yeah, thank yeah. You. yeah. Yeah. No, no, you know, it's filtering down to you for sure. Um, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, back to Ingrid. So Ingrid, uh, you, you, you know, you had your own band for many years. At some point you, you got, uh, the, the squirrel nut zippers were, were being reformed by the great Jimbo Mathis, a former guest of ours here on the Trouble Men podcast. And, uh, so, so, uh, Jimbo tapped you to be the, the singer in, in the, the reformed squirrel nut zippers. So I, and when I heard about that, I thought, what a perfect gig for Ingrid. This is, this couldn't be a better gig for her. It's, uh, you know, style-wise, uh, um, image-wise, and, and just, just the whole thing seemed to be perfect. Now, so you, you went and played with those guys all over the place, right? Yes, it was the 20th year anniversary in 96 of the album that had their big hits on it. And so they ended up with a huge booking agent and a revival. And um, <clears throat> we had crossed over the years when the whole retro swing movement was in. So it was the Swarm of Zippers, it was the Flying Neutrinos, and it was the World Sound Review. I mean, there were obviously so many, but there was more of a little, I think, a, a light being shined on the possibility, and really the Spoonhead Zippers won the game. So when they split, when Tom Maxwell and Jimbo split, weirdly enough, Tom Maxwell called me and asked me to redo the vocals on the songs because he owned he owned the songs, but he didn't own the master. And so I had that interaction, and then fast forward about two years, Jimbo reaches out to me, and <clears throat> it was perfect timing. 
I mean, we had so many adventures on the road. The guys in the band are great. We picked up a bunch of guys from New Orleans that I recommended. Um, we basically, truly had the big time experience. It was a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter, five-star hotels, these amazing theaters all around the country that were sold out with screaming fans. Nice. And it was, it was just, um, it was such an overload and it's such a consolidated amount of time. I found myself getting really burned out and I really wasn't being paid that much money. I was getting 250 bucks a show and I could barely pay my bills that I was in it for the, uh, for the war chest, as he put it. So they had these legs and stints where we would go out, come back, go out, come back. So you got for a couple of weeks and come back home. Well, what happened was, we did all these great shows, all this press and promotion, and I got really close with Jimbo and get ready for the record. And I mean, we had some wild times, like, and I I got burned out. I mean, I would come home so bone marrow tired that I couldn't even get out of bed. Mm. And I didn't, the last leg was supposed to be in New York on the Northeast coast. And I went to the airport and um, <clears throat> had the usual few drinks without eating for a week and ended up in jail because I was drunk. So I got fired. I got fired in the airport. I got fired in jail at Jefferson Parish Prison. Oh Jesus (laughs) Christ! Well, we all know what that feels like. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. If you haven't, if you if you haven't experienced that, you know, you really haven't lived, right, Manny? So they fired you. They fired you for getting drunk. They fired me while I was in jail, leaving because they said I left them in the eleventh hour, and they didn't have a backup because I was told I was irreplaceable. So I told the airlines I was irreplaceable and I really needed to get on that plane. <laughs> that well, wasn't that persuasive. So well. Yeah, they, they weren't persuaded by that, the airlines. No, they had me in one of those 1920s cripple wheelchairs pushing me out with all my feather headpieces and fancy gowns and sequins and the Louis Vuitton bag. And they handcuffed me and tossed me in a solitary confinement. Oh, jeez. And it was an eye-opening three hours, let me put it that way. Oh, and um, so, and then so, they hired my so best what, friend. Yeah. So so what did you do? Was this on the plane? You were belligerent? Were you saying there was a creature they on the plane? They didn't let me on the plane. No, they didn't oh, okay. let me on the plane. Yeah. So. Okay. Actually, you know so what? You were, I, at the, you were at the airport bar acting wacky and crazy. No, I have, you know, you know, the New Orleans rules and regulations. You don't need to be spending 15 bucks on a cocktail at the airport. You bring out, you bring a two bottle of juice with you and drink it in the cab. Okay. So <laughs> I was pretty much loaded by the time I got to the gate check. <laughs> okay. And, but they tracked, they tracked me down and I was, you know, begging the police, like, please, I, I'm irreplaceable. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> so. But it was a great run. They, you know, they shut down shop on me, which was humiliating. And, um, but, but I'm thankful for the experience and I learned a lot. So, thank you, Jimbo. (laughs) You know, that's, Jimbo's a guy that... Do you still talk to these guys? I talked to the sax player, uh, Henry Westmoreland. I love him. Kevin Lewis, love him. Um, I ate Kevin's marijuana apple. (laughs) They're like, don't eat the apple. He just moved into it for like three weeks. But uh, everybody else just kind of like shut down on me, Jimbo especially. And then hmm. this female bass player, this is why you don't put women in the band with yourself. Because it can be a little catty kind of thing. Huh, so she's okay. like, bitch, she's like, bitch, don't talk to me until you got your six-month chip. And I'm thinking right now, 
I'm not a revengeful kind of person, all right, at all. But I do have my moments of humor. And so in about three weeks, that will be the six-month chip. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, bitch, take that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Betty Boop's going ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> no. And life, life has given some really great experiences. I mean, I really, really feel that playing music you can't people have millions of dollars they can't go to these countries and have open doors and people host them and bring them in and drink the fanciest liquors and and just you know it's like that is a gift to get to travel the world and meet every all these different cultures and and i wouldn't give it up for anything no no i'm glad that i've had a good life when you when you went to these parties these luxurious parties, did they have uh, free cigarettes? Free cigarettes. They didn't have free cigarettes, yeah. but what they did have over in Europe, the, the cigarettes, they smoke like, they drink like fishes and they smoke like fishes, but the boxes have um, pictures of people with big holes in their throats. That's mm. how serious they are about the warning signs. But, uh, <laughs> but I... I, 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 I I kind of outdid myself, you know, drinking like Aquavit with Trisha Boucher and Sweden and then Uzu and Greece and tequila in Mexico. And then I jokingly said to my mom when I was in the ICU, I said, it's been a great run. I said, but who knew that a cheap bottle of school over and over day drinking from Hank was what was going to put me down. And she was just like, shut up. Put her through hell. Mm-hmm. Right now, being sober for five months, it's reconfiguring habits and patterns and being brave enough to face the audiences, stone cold sober, right. to make love to your honey, stone cold sober, right. to have a real conversation, stone cold sober. And it's terrifying, but the more you do it, it's like riding a bike. So it's been good. Yes. I'm so surprised Jimbo uh, has not reached out. He's such a kind guy. He's a good guy, but he's non-confrontational. And there's a military tactic that once the enemy has been slaughtered and there's no more communication with him, you never... That's it. It's done. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But that, you know... But that's for now. Who knows what the future will hold? You know, who knows what... what nobody uh, ever knows. Miracles do happen. And I've, you know, I've come to... Um, connect with people that I never thought I would connect with ever again in a surprising mode and even closer. So I don't doubt that it's possible and I don't hold any grudges really. You know, I, I am responsible for myself and I accepted the terms of $250, which I was an idiot to do, but you know, you're responsible for your own actions. And so that's something that I am learning right now. Okay. And, um, yeah, so, well, you know, you, you, you reach so we, out. We've had, some, we've had some people on the show who uh, are doing, you know, like you, uh, plain and sober. And it's always that hard ninth step, you know, which is probably the hardest thing. And Apologizing? We, making amends. In the 12th step? Yes, the making which amends. One, which one is the ninth step? Making amends, yes. Yeah. yeah, and, but there's also, uh, there's also that uh, we've had some people on the show who, uh, who are clean and sober, but they, they haven't done that one step where they pay their friends back. 
the money that they leached off them and stuff like that. <laughs> Wait a second. Is that technically one of the 12 steps? Well, well, no, it's not the 12th step. It's an imaginary step that we've been hoping for years that some of these people would do. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. You never know how the gift gets returned. It may not be in hard cash, but if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the Musicians Clinic getting me health insurance and getting into University Hospital and, you know, my boyfriend making the call that I had to go, and being there for 10 days, if it wasn't for Anders, 11 years clean and sober, coming and talking to me, the only person couldn't say, you should do this, or you should do that, or blah, blah, blah. He's like, look, he said, I can get you into Cumberland Heights. He said, <clears throat> you know, you don't like it, you leave, you go back and drink. Mm-hmm. You try it. It took it so easy going, and really, I went, and it was, the, I learned so much. I wrote a book, actually, called... <laughs> Ingrid Lucia, a journal. Ingrid Lucia, 30 Days in a Country Rehab. <laughs> it was outside of Nashville. So they thought so bad, like, I didn't want to do it. I mean, what are they saying? They're talking about 12 deaths and diseases and everything. It's all right. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> were, you afraid, were you afraid people would never hear from you again? never hear from me as then I was going to die. Well, no, that they would just say, well, she's, she's so gone. She's so bad off that well, is this going to write you off. Oh, you know what? By default, my only Trinity is this right now is redeveloping a relationship with my family and friends, getting back my reputation as a performer. And truly I messed up my liver. So I really can't drink anymore. I have to eat healthy and, it's not an option unless I decide to, uh, you know, burn myself an effigy in a civil rights movement in front of Jackson Square. <laughs> like, okay, well, let's not, but, let's not, you know, let's I not was, do that yet. I was, <laughs> I was written off in a silent mode, which I don't appreciate because if you care about somebody, you say something. Look, I can't handle this. I love you, and I can't watch this. But the silent removal is something I don't really understand, and it, you know, there. are there are some, I have made amends with everybody. I wrote Jimbo a long letter and never heard back. I'm working on making amends and trying to do my part. The one person I have a really hard time making amends with. Well, the problem husband. with doing that is, the problem with doing that to Jimbo is I don't think he knows how to read. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a joke, man. He's joking. <laughs> well, I will say this. He was reading a lot when we were on the road, but I did have a, conversation with a trombone player, no names mentioned, that he doesn't really know how to read music very well, and so you have to put that into the equation and just go with it. <laughs> From the trombone mouth to the trumpet ear. Okay. So, but you know, who am I to say? I mean, I, how do you know when there's a girl singer at your front door? She doesn't have her keys. She doesn't know when to come in. We all have our flaws. <laughs> <laughs> just wait for the downbeat and pray. <laughs> Well, you know, Ingrid, we've uh, everybody on the phone here has been in a position where we thought we'd lost the respect of of everyone, including our self respect. And you know, time. I don't think. Okay. Well, I'm saying t- time and and uh, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, always, p- people are pretty generous in 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 in, in the long term. So. You know, everyone's. I think so, and 
Yeah, and I've been surprised how many people have gone out of their way to be kind and generous and thoughtful. And it actually, I mean, I don't like to cry. There's no crying to be smaller jazz. But the amount of people that have come forward because of me, not because of my music, it, it put a shock into my system that I have a value as a person. And I never felt that way before. And I was completely surprised to receive that kind of, you know, acceptance, I guess. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that you learn. Oh, my God. You go to these some of these tools. Like, I walked away with so many tools. And really, when you narrow it down, I'm a pleaser. I like to please people. I get nervous at the gig, so I drink too much. Mm. I don't like to be alone, so I drink too much. I... You know, it's just the whole drinking thing came down to having to please people. And I realized that I don't have to please anybody. Right. If I want to, I will. And I do want to. It's called boundaries. Boundaries, expectations, and knowing that you are gifted. I mean, the higher source, God, as you see it, and what religion or not religion. But you are here for a reason to be you. And it's okay to be you. And I never really felt like that. I just always felt like the freak, the dirty freak vote kid, you know, trying to sit on the outside looking in, living in people's houses, using their bathtubs, going through the drawers, trying on their underwear, using their razors. Because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a home. Right. So. You know, I was thinking about that, like, like the... I know some of the experiences you had as a child, like your father would have one of these these rafts and you'd be stopped somewhere, somewhere along the, the way, and he would just suddenly tell everybody, okay, grab whatever you can carry off of the boat because I've just given the boat away. Yes. So, Basically, he did that often. And he said um, he was all about the Aboriginal lifestyle. So he was, <clears throat> for my 18th birthday... He said, I have the greatest gift for you. We're going to give everything away. And Betsy, my stepmother, who had a kid, Jesse, is like, they just don't give the truck away, Jesus. So, you know, you have to learn to survive off of, because, like, what do you, what do you really need to put in that backpack to walk out the door and survive? A pocket knife, a pair of shoes, um, communication, the big And the money. TV guide. TV guide. <laughs> we could, we were allowed, we were allowed one nine volt battery, like when we actually had money. And so you can read at night. We didn't have TV. We didn't have electricity. And when that battery was gone, you were screwed. Ah, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't finish the book yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes very little. Um, the tricky thing really is that growing up that way, when there's a surplus, the first thing you want to do is go out and blow it. Because you just don't know how to how how to deal with a savings account or have one or expound upon the idea that maybe they maybe one day like Raymond Weber said you'll be homeless under the Claymore Street Bridge. (laughs) My mind doesn't even work that way. Yeah. On a positive note, though, on a positive note, things have always worked out. The universe has always get out of your own way. All right. When the marriage came to an end. I was always the boxer in the ring hitting myself in the face. I want this. I'm going to do that. This is how I'm going to get it. And I would be fighting my own self. And then I had to surrender. My best gay boyfriend was on the phone with me. I was living in Gentilly. got dumped there in a white beater with no bra, pair of pajamas, and it's like half a shotgun. And he said, I have one word for you. I said, what? 
you should surrender. And that very second, <laughs> there was a knock on the door. I was like, well, let me go, Mark. And I go to the front door, and there's this old couple. And I'm knocking. I was like, hello? And they're like, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I kid you not, from that point on, in that year of being in a half a shotgun, there were lovers. There were great visitors from abroad. There were adventures. I mean, it was like it all came together when you surrender. And it will always take care of itself. It's really terrifying to think of, but it is absolutely true. Nice, nice. Now, Ingrid, one thing I'm curious about, like a lot of people, you know, come through, uh, you know, they they embrace sobriety um, and they feel like they can't be around other people who are drinking. So I know you're still you know, playing, playing gigs again. And I'm sure, uh, you know, people that you hire on your, on your bands, maybe still drink, you know, how is that? Yeah. working? How is that? How do you feel about that? That's a very good question. And to be honest with you, it doesn't bother me. And part of my fear was that, I mean, we know in our circle that out of respect, you know, the person that doesn't drink or do drugs goes off around the corner and walks around so everybody can have a cocktail or smoke the pot. But I was afraid of being excluded from that, but I wasn't. And actually, I think it's pretty hilarious to be watching everybody get stoned and drunk, totally sobered. They're hilarious things that come out of witnessing that. Right. There have been a few times, I will admit, there have been a few times, like pre-gig, you get that cocktail, it's like big makeup in the mansion, and there's that glass of wine sitting right there by the mirror. Or another time was, um, this is a big one. I'm standing in front of the house next to Hank's. And it was freezing and the bus never came. I was like, you actually have money. You just go buy a bottle of water right now. Nobody would ever know. And they took everything inside of me and I wrote this song on the spot. I was having Tourette's syndrome. And here it goes. I love a clip of it. Sitting on the bus. Mm, that never comes. Mm, waiting on the bus. Can't use my thumb. Waiting on the bus, like dumb for bum. Watching all the cattle that go by and wanting one. <laughs> like, incorporated off. <laughs> it's like, fuck. Sometimes you do want to drink because it's not going your way, really. So, but it's all right. You know, it's a momentary thing. So, right. And I know the bottom line is, I mean, I have cirrhosis at the liver. All right. And, uh, at 40 on the male program, you did. I was at 35 in ICU, and they gave me 29 days to live. Mm. And I pulled back the numbers to a 10, and 8 is normal for a normal person. Okay. So I feel really confident about that, but that part of your liver that's scarred really never gets fixed. And if you want to die, you start drinking. That's the reality. So I can't. I can get. I can smoke, but right. I'm not ready. I want to heal six months at the time. And they can kind of gauge and even out a keel on it. So I want to still be really clean and clean eating. And, you know, after that, when this is all coming to a, we need to have a wild bonfire and burn all the masks, have the banshees go crazy with goodness in the universe and like get stoned and barefoot. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it, Ingrid. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And can I, can I say one thing in regards to all of this craziness? Yes, absolutely. I won't expound too long. They say sometimes you have to have fire. If it's bringing a dog, 
If the dog doesn't behave itself or the child doesn't behave itself, it needs to be cracked under the chin because there are moral responsibilities. And with all this racial stuff going on that it's still even an issue in these days and times, obviously Martin Luther King isn't working right now, but looting isn't either because it's a vicious cycle of saying, see, I told you so. Like, you know, it, it needs to have... Questions, but I think honestly, as I think about this, I think this is a tipping point. And the question is, how will it play out to make a change? It might be a blessing in disguise, you know. Unfortunately, yes. Well, it, it definitely feels like like something is like uh, you know the the whole thing is turning. You know, we we already had the zombie apocalypse with the plague. And we thought, well, this, yeah. this is so shocking that, you know, nothing could be this shocking. It's like, oh, well, hold on. <laughs> We're not done. <laughs> so, uh, right. And the question is, what's next? Do we have a three coming at us? Are we evacuating? Are we, where are we going to go? Who wants us? Nobody wants us. <laughs> right. Well, and, <laughs> like and it's, it, it's not like Katrina again, where everybody else is fine and it's only New Orleans. It's like, no, there is no place that's fine. It's. Uh, you know, the, there right. Is, Who, there, who's going to let you in their house? Nobody. So, know. what? What's the plan? You know, I'm I'm sitting here completely blank as to what the plan is. I think it's just to hold the fort. This right. house was built in the '40s, so it's still here. Right. Well, I, I don't know. Well, it's New Orleans. It's New Orleans. They'll probably just have a second line or a parade or something. You know, that's <laughs> what they'll do here in New Orleans. Oh my God! Even says he said a one who stay. A two is saying we get a bottle of booze. A three, where the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> we'll see. But no, I mean, how lucky are we to be musicians and entertainers and barely make a living making people happy? You can't get better than that. You know, it's it's the thing that, that you, you, you have uh, doctors and lawyers come up to you at, at the end of a gig and, and look at you so enviously and go, wow, you're so lucky to get to do what you love. And I'm like, I was like, what the fuck are you even talking about? I mean, yes, yes, you're correct. But you know, but they're sincere and, and it's, it's very true because you know, they're, you know, Ingrid more than anyone, they bury you with no pockets. You know, you don't get to take any of this with you. It doesn't matter what you had along the way. We all end up, nope. we all end up in the ground together. And so these experiences, that's really the thing that you sort of take with you, you know? That's what you take with you and also the legacy that you leave behind. I mean, really, to change the world through your actions of goodness and unconditional, unconditional music, I mean, tell me any other form apart from the arts that makes you cry on a spiritual level right. from joy or from sorrow. My God. Yeah. So I, I would say, all right, make me cry. If you make me cry, I know you've, you've done your job. And <clears throat> there's this one chapter at the end of the Goldfinch with Donna Tarsh. It took 10 years to write it. That last chapter literally sucked the air out of my body. And I went into this really transcendental state and I could not stop crying. She did it. And I still have not done it. I know how to, I'm, I'm a jokester. I know how to entertain people, but I'm still yet to uh, attain that song. So we'll see. 
maybe it takes, you know, more life experience of jail and <laughs> I see you and whatever. <laughs> oh, hey, Ingrid. Do you know yeah. Nancy Lennox? Not only do I know her, she's one of my very, very best friends in the whole world. Yes. Yeah. Well, she, uh, every jazz fest, uh, she stays on my couch. Oh. And, uh, for years, she did that. <clears throat> her, son's a, her son's a good friend of mine. But now she's got a man in her life. And for the past few years, yeah. they've been roaming the world in their little motor home. It's beautiful. Well, I'll tell you how small the world is in. It's not even one degree of separation. You know, money has been coming in randomly from the fans, but she commissioned a song. And so we talked, and me and Steven just about have it done. But it's, uh, I call it, I call it, um, it's called Dusty Dreams. And we just finished it literally two days ago for her and her, and her boyfriend, Nick. So. Right. Right. I've never I've never been commissioned to do a song for somebody before, so I was really you know it's it's, it's different, and you get nervous because you want to please somebody, or you know what I mean. It's a marking time, so I feel sure. pretty good about it. But she's a sweetheart. Nice. Yeah, I think about four or five jazz fests ago, she was staying on our couch, and she was she was going out every night, and she came the next morning. She was so excited. Because she said she got it. You, you, you brought her up on stage and she sang a song with you or something? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I yeah. met her through LeVay Smith. LeVay Smith is one of my best friends. And okay. me and, me and LeVay did a Pacta Tribute uh, series. And so we went up to Santa Cruz and that's how I met her. She came to LeVay's show and did a double bill. And we've been in touch. Was like, well, I don't know what, like 2008? Yeah, so, something like that. Is yeah. she a good singer? Mm, this is between us. I'm just going to be on the radio, so I'm just an idiot for saying, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Her heart's, in, enthusiasm. Her heart's <laughs> in the right place. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, so, uh, so Ingrid, yeah. so you have a, a you, we're sort of getting to the end. We're going to wrap up here, but uh, you have a, a, right. a record that you've been, uh, been working on that you say you're, you're nearing completion. Yes, it's in the mixing stages right now. I have a gentleman that's going to master it. We recorded at Esplanade Studios and at oh, nice. Music Shed. Some of the top players in town are on it, which I'm really thrilled about. Excellent. Um, mostly all original, except for one standard. And as you know, I mean, every album has its own <clears throat> birthing process, mm -hmm. whether it's one of them happens in a day and four hours, or this one's just taken a long time, and I'm not to be objective about it but i'm actually feeling really good it should be out it should be out if things go methodically well by the end of summer okay well congratulations yeah. on that you know i was I, I i knew you were out there for several years and i was sort of keeping tabs on you from from afar and uh, had reached Thank out you. to you and and you know it uh, whatever, you know, people are always get, get in touch when they're on their own timeline. But, but just a couple of weeks ago, you, you reached out to me and said, Oh, I had a dream about you. And, uh, and I thought, I did. I I thought did. how sweet. And, and I was really touched that you would think of me and, and, and I was, I was thrilled to hear from you. And, uh, and then, uh, last week when I, I thought, Oh, you know, who would be great? Cause I'm always trying to 
kind of figure out who's going to be a good guest because I, you know, I'll have a whole bunch of, we'll have a whole bunch of guitar players uh, in a row. And it's like, well, we don't want another guitar player. And then a whole bunch of men always. And it's like, well, who's a, a female that can come on? It's like, okay. Uh, you know, it's like Ingrid, she's a female. She's got a crazy backstory. She's got a crazy front story. She's, she's fresh out of rehab. She checks all the boxes, man. And like a lot of people would would go, oh no, I don't think I'm ready. Ingrid goes, oh no, I'm ready. You can ask me anything. It's like, good girl. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I, you know, I'm a, I really am an open book because I'm a terrible liar, and <laughs> I know that. So there's no point even lying if you're going to fudge something. Just be open about it and uh, <laughs> seek the truth, and it will free you. Right. Yes, I've heard <laughs> that. Before. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Ingrid, I know New Orleans, the New Orleans music community is so thrilled to have you, you know, back out there and, and in such good spirits and, you know, uh, you know, just, just Thank you. being healthy and everything and, and, you know, Thank you. Uh, we're, we're thrilled. Thank and, you. And, you know, it's, uh, the question is, the question is what's next And my brain is on this licensing. We, we're going to be going through some real rough stuff. I mean, basically we are like the candy and we're not necessary territory at this point in time with all the clubs and everything. So I think that we should start working on a licensing company to get to Nashville, LA and, and New York and start getting some of people's material out there so they can get some mailbox money coming in. Okay. Seriously. Okay. Well, no, that's, I, know well, yeah, I think you're stuff. right. I think you're right because I think, uh, the way you you guys used to make money is not going to be the way you're going to make money in the future. You no, we gotta, never made money there anyways. Come on, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, I, I know. I, mean, I thought you were talking about hustling my ass out in the corner, Manny, but okay, that's not. you're not talking about that. All right. No, I'm talking about your music. Oh, okay, right, right, right. A whole right, right, different right. ball game now. Nightclubs are going to be going away soon. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's not, it's not looking great. I, I, I agree with you, Manny. <clears throat> well, it, it right now by default, I don't really love this phrase, but it is what it is. And so the evolution of that, if you think ahead, you need to be on your game now. So when this, uh, unemployment runs out, you're not sitting here, you know, getting an eviction notice on the house. You gotta like jumpstart it now. Right. And there will always be, there will always be commercials. There will always be film, television, and advertising and so it's a no-brainer yes yes you're right well uh you know keep keep all the little people in mind Ingrid, as you uh as you think these big thoughts and have these these uh these big concepts uh you know keep keep uh, yeah well that's what that's part of the dream is that we all we all take this trip together we all when we all help each other you know, we pull each other along. Sometimes, you know, one person's drowning and hold on to the rope and the other person's strong. And then next thing you know, it's vice versa. So no man is an island. That's really the truth of the matter. Nice. I couldn't so, have said it better myself. Well, that, that seems like a podcast, huh, Manny? Yeah. Well, Ingrid, thank you so Definitely. much for coming on. And, and you Thank know, you. And uh, I'm so, so wait, wait, enough about me. What do you think about my singing? You're singing? Oh, we love your singing. We, we love everything. You love your your bubbly personality. We love your uh, you know your uh, your your forthcoming nature. So thank you. 
So, uh, you know, keep I, my, yes, it, was, it was a pleasure <laughs> to meet you. You too. I look forward to a time when we can actually look each other in the face and not have a mask covering everything up. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And we'll, we'll uh, you know, we're, we, we just had the 100th episode party for the Trouble Men podcast. Uh, oh, congratulations. Couple, thank you, thank you. A, a few months ago. So now we're on, I think you, you'll be uh, uh, episode number 108. So at some point, you know, hang in there. We'll, we'll have a, a, a uh, episode 200 party and we'll all be there together. So uh, right. something, so something to look forward to. Send me. Send me a link for it, and I will share it with it all all the people. We absolutely will. Will it's going to get out there to the troubled nation, and uh, they're going to be thrilled to to hear uh, you know Ingrid Lucia uh, you know back in in uh, in top form. All right, lots of love. Okay, love Ingrid. Well, family. you know, in in uh, yes, yes, same to you. And and uh, Ingrid, in the troubled nation, we always like to say uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Thank you. Yes. Good night. That's a good fight. Yes. Good night. Good night. He always chose the things that we were going to do. He never asked me once what I wanted to do. Those years went by. I kind of got tired of being dragged. Dragged by. Someday that one will come along That doesn't